Open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 18. We've been talking about prayer and prevailing prayer and really a specific type of prayer. We've talked about different types of prayer and we've gone through what those are or some of those. And we've been focusing on the main reason for this whole study, which is the prayer of intercession and the real prayer of inter- purpose of the prayer of intercession is where we go to God and ask God to do something in someone else's life. And the highest form of that is to pray for their soul. <clears throat> and we look at why that's necessary. We looked at why, why if God wants to save people, and the Bible's got a number of scriptures that say it's not God's will that any should perish. And that why if God wants to save them, why, why does he need us to pray? And we're going to see a little more of that tonight. Um, but, but the reason we found out is that God gave that first man and woman authority in this realm, in this earth. And God has never taken that authority back. And then that man, when he sinned, he handed that authority over to Satan. So Satan is now called the God of this world. And that affects us in a number of ways. That means God cannot intervene in this world and people's lives unless somebody asks him to. And unless somebody authorizes God to move on someone else's behalf, he doesn't have the authority. God doesn't have the authority. He has it, but he gave it to somebody. And he didn't take it back. So when he gave it to him and he didn't take it back, he doesn't have it anymore. It's still, but it's, it's been usurped. And we saw that Jesus came to win that authority back and he has given that authority to his church. And we have that authority to exercise. And so that's one of the reasons why God needs us to come to him and ask him to intervene on other people's behalf, something he already wants to do. So that means we don't have to talk him into it. He just needs us to release him to do what he already wants to do. And what we've been looking at over the last several weeks about this is, well, let's read this this story, which we've read before, but I just want to go through it quickly again. Verse, chapter, Luke 18, verse 1. Then he, Jesus, spoke a parable to them, saying, Men ought always to pray and not lose heart. I don't know about you, but I have experienced, and that's really one of the reasons why God began to deal with me about teaching this series for my sake as well as for yours, is he began to show me that there were situations, there were family members, there were situations where I'd been praying for a while, and I just kind of... I guess I lost heart. You just kind of, when you don't see a result after a while, you just, you know, you can get discouraged. I'm not sure I'm not the only one that's just, you know, and and it's not like, oh, I'm so discouraged. The way it shows up is you just sort of skip it one day and then you skip it a second day and pretty soon it's been three or four days and it's been a week and then after a while you don't think of it again until something reminds you of it. Oh, I haven't been praying for a while. Now we feel guilty, you know, and well, I got to go do it again and then... But the, what the root is, it somehow we lost heart in standing for those prayers to get answered. And, of course, we have an enemy out there who's trying to get us to lose heart, to tell us, you know, it's never going to happen. And, and the, the whole purpose of this parable is why it's important for us to persevere in prayer, especially for other people. He spoke this parable saying, Men ought to always, always ought to pray and to not lose heart or faint or quit saying that there was a certain, a certain city, there was a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Give me justice from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said with himself, Though I don't fear God, and I don't really care about man, yet because this widow continues to trouble me, I'm going to give her the vengeance that she asked for, lest by her continually coming she wearies me out. Now, That's not telling us God's not the unjust judge because he's not unjust and he does care about man. 
So the, the, the parable here, you've you got to be careful when you're using parables to learn something because you can take lessons out of parables that he didn't intend. He tells you what the purpose of the parable is. Man ought always to pray and not lose heart. The whole purpose of this parable is to teach us to persevere. And what he's saying here basically, look, is if just by continually annoying this judge who was, doesn't care about God, doesn't care about people, but he'd do what she asked just because he bugged him, how much more would a righteous God who cares about people respond to our prayers when we're persistent? So be persistent until you get an answer. How long do we pray? Until we get the answer. Because you have to understand this. If you're praying something according to the will of God, as long as you don't quit, the answer has to come because God can't lie. So that's why the whole battle is to get you to quit. Because the devil knows if you don't quit, he loses. So his whole effort is to discourage you, to get you to quit. And the purpose of this parable is to encourage us not to quit. And he goes on in verse 6 and says, Hear what the, un- hear what the unjust said. Just judge, judge said, And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So Jesus is saying, When I come back, am I going to find my church standing in faith to see their prayers answered or not? Am I going to find people standing in faith? So we've been looking at, all right, if we have to persevere, why? Because it helps me to understand what it is I'm persevering. What's the opposition? And we've looked at a number of things. We looked, first of all, because you're praying about a situation that involves somebody else, their will's involved. God will, cannot violate somebody else's will. He can influence it, and that's what we're asking Him to do. But He can't just burst in somebody. He can't burst in somebody that you're praying for and say, Look, you know, Denny's praying for you. I'm going to change your heart and change your mind, and you're going to do what He's asking for me to have you do. If that's true, the whole world would be saved. Because God would just barge through their wills and change everybody's will, and the devil would just lose right away, and we'd all go up into heaven, and it'd be all a happy thing. But God can't do that, because he, he gave you your will. He gave them their will. He will not violate it. But He can influence it. But He can put pressure on it, and that's what He need us, needs us to ask Him to do. We looked in... In, uh, we looked in Mark, and we saw in Mark chapter 6 where Jesus, Jesus went back to his own hometown. And it says, because they remembered little Jesus growing up, they had trouble, they were offended at who he'd become, and as a result, they wouldn't believe that he could do what he said he could, what, what his, what he could do. And it says in Mark that he could do no mighty works because of their unbelief, their own belief, their refusal to accept who he was kept Jesus from doing what he wanted to do. So people's wills affect it. Then we saw secondly, and this is kind of where we, 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 we left off last time, is we found out that, that it's a spiritual warfare. We saw that in Ephesians 6, in the, the, the root scripture, one of the root scriptures about prayer is in Ephesians 6.18, which is 
praying always with all manner of prayer. And it comes at the end of a section talking about spiritual warfare, and in there is the armor of God. And that begins by saying, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers in heavenly places. And what he's talking about is demonic authorities and powers. They are real. You know, the world may laugh at them and on Halloween may dress up like them, but they are real. Jesus dealt with them. They are real. The Bible teaches. Now, we don't have to be afraid of them, but they are real. And therefore, they affect the spiritual atmosphere. They're, they, have been de- they have been delegated. to. The, remember where Jesus tells a parable? He said, you know, when you cast, uh, when, when you cast demons out of a man... You've got to be careful what you put back in him because he said when you evict somebody from a house, he says you've got to, there'll be seven more that will try to come back in. He says because when you cast them out, they're traveling around in waterless places. What's that? That's the spiritual atmosphere around here seeking reinforcements to come back in. And so his lesson there is when you deliver someone from demonic power, you can't just leave them like that. You've got to put something spiritual in them in place of that because the demonic forces will try to come back even worse than they were before. So he talks about demons and that, they're in, that, that they travel. Remember the, the pigs that Jesus cast a, a legion of demons out of this madman of Gadara and they're pleading with him to let them go into some other kind of body? And so Jesus sends them into the pigs because they want to inhabit something so they can begin to express themselves in this realm. And I don't want to get into that teaching. That's a whole teaching on spiritual things that, that we can get into in some other subject. But the point is that they're real and that they inhabit, that their, that their realm is the spiritual atmosphere. It's one of the heavens the Bible talks about. Not where God resides, but the spiritual heaven, the spiritual atmosphere around this earth. And then we looked last time, we saw over uh, a number of things about spiritual warfare, that 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that Satan is the God of this earth and he blinds the eyes of the unbelieving so that they don't see the hope of the glory of the gospel that's in Christ Jesus. So the reason your unbelieving relatives can't see it in most cases, there's some that just don't want to. But there's some that, you know, they're trying to, but they get, you know, and you may have, no, have I know I was trying to see things, and, I, and then I get to see them, and then and they kind of drift away. Why? Because the, Satan was trying to confuse me so that I couldn't clearly see the truth. So our prayers, because we have authority in that realm, our prayers begin to battle those forces and confuse the spirits that are trying to confuse the person that you're praying for. You just start speaking the name of Jesus of somebody, and it causes demons to tremble. They've dealt with him before. And so, if, so well, they're on assignment. Now, I don't teach a lot about demons, but they're real. When they're on assignment to confuse your relatives, and you just start praying over them in the name of Jesus, and you call their name in the name of Jesus, that just, those, those demons start trembling. They get confused. They don't know what to do. That name scares them because it's the ultimate authority in the spirit realm. And that's been given to us as a weapon to use. We ended by looking in Daniel, and we saw in Daniel chapter 10 where Daniel was praying and, and after three weeks, finally, an angel shows up with a vision. And the first thing the angel says is, from the moment you prayed, I was dispatched from the throne of God to bring your answer. Amen. But the prince over Persia, he battled with me for 21 days until God had to send an archangel so he could, I could be released to come down to you. So there's spiritual things going on. And so we've looked at that, and then the last thing we looked at was unbelief. And we talked, that's Mark as an example. 
Okay, now what we want to look to is, go with me to, uh, to Matthew chapter 9. We're talking about another. This is the fourth reason why there are obstacles or, or reasons why our prayers are necessary for God to be able to reach people that he wants to reach. Matthew 9.35, we're going to start there. And Jesus went about, and actually it means in the Greek was going about, in all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching or proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. See, he didn't just do this once or twice to prove he was the son of God. This was his modus of apparanda. This is how his, what his ministry was primarily, was teaching and preaching the kingdom of God and then demonstrating that by delivering people from the works of Satan. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, go out and get them. No, what he said is the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So somehow, in the process of Jesus seeing the multitudes that needed salvation, his first reaction was to tell his disciples to pray and to ask God, the Lord of the harvest, to, to, uh, to prepare and bring out laborers to go bring in the harvest. You know, in, this fall I'm going to talk about the harvest, the harvest of souls. And there's a video I'm going to show you that talks about the gathering in of the harvest. And it uses this example of a farmer that, that with a crop, and it's a long story, but how the was not able, didn't have the equipment to bring it in, and so they asked for laborers to come. Other farmers came in, and they brought their equipment because if they didn't get the harvest in on time, before the rains came, they'd lose their harvest, and they'd lose their entire year's income. And how the community gathered together to bring that harvest in. And that's the message here. Jesus is saying, he's looking out, he's moved with compassion. He sees the Lord. This is Jesus. Why doesn't he go out and do something? And he's telling his disciples, here's what I need you to do. I need you to pray. And I need you to ask the Lord of the harvest to prepare and send out laborers to go not just to spread the word, but to go to bring the harvest in. And then he does his part, because understand in the original text, it now doesn't start chapter 10, it just is one continuing discussion. Because what Jesus is about to do is his response to that. And when he called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power or authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases. In other words, he empowers them to do what he'd been doing. Why? Because they needed that equipment to go do what he was doing, which was to proclaim the gospel. So he's going to send 12 laborers out. And he gives them the equipment to do it. And it goes through now the names of the disciples. And he goes down in verse 5 and says, The 12 he sent out, commanding them, Don't go into the city, don't go into the way of the Gentiles, don't enter the city of the Samaritan, but go to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go preaching, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, cleanse the, de- the left, don't cleanse the devils, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely have received. Freely give. All right. And if you go on in Luke's account, you'll see they came back thrilled because the devils were subject to them. Go to Romans chapter 10. 
Why? Why? Why, why did he have to? Why do we have to pray to send laborers out? Why, why does God need us to ask Him to do again what He wants to do? Romans chapter ten. Okay. Romans chapter ten starts with by saying that the Jews seek to establish, seek to get saved, but by the wrong method. They seek to establish their own righteousness by living perfectly under the law, but they can't do it because nobody can live perfectly under the law. But he says the righteousness that's from God isn't like that. And he talks about some verses that Moses quoted back from the Old Testament, that, that, and I don't want to get into those. But he comes down to verse 9. He says, because this is it, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. Two things. You've got to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you've got to confess Jesus as Lord from your mouth. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made under salvation. Okay. Verse 11. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord is over all, is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls upon, whoever, call, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But here's the problem. How are they going to call on Him in whom they've not believed? And how are they going to believe in Him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher. Now, preacher does, the word preacher doesn't mean somebody with their collar backwards or somebody that's a, a minister. The word preacher means proclaimer. It just means somebody to tell them. How are they going to hear unless somebody tells them? And how are they going to tell or preach unless they're sent? Addis as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace and who bring glad tidings of good things. In other words, the person that brings the good news to you of the gospel, their feet are precious to you because their feet brought the good news to you. That's what he's saying. But they've not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report. So then faith comes by hearing, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of of God, but I say to you that they've not all heard. Okay, all right. So the principle here is this. Salvation comes under God's method when we choose to believe that Christ died in our place and gives us his righteousness by believing in what Christ did for me personally. I have to do that and then I have to confess. I have to do something because believing is an internal thing and now I have to do something outwardly, some public stand, some public declaration where even if it's just out loud in my mouth to declare that I'm now, I'm now belong to Jesus, that I'm identified with him, that he's my Lord. And that's what the process is that God has ordained by which we were made right in his sight, righteous by which we become children of God. That's the process. Now, but here's the problem. Paul goes on to explain. How can they believe that Jesus is the Savior unless somebody tells them? And how can somebody tell them unless they go and speak it? And how can they go and speak it unless someone commissions them, someone commissions them, 
someone commissions them and sends them. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he would commission and send laborers into the harvest to go and tell them so that when they hear, faith will come. And when faith comes, they can believe. And when they can believe, now they can declare and now Christ can come in. So the process that God has designed is happens only as we believe what God's promise is and faith to believe it comes by somebody coming and telling us by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Is that simple and clear enough? All right. So in order for somebody to go, God, somebody has to commission them and that is the Lord of the harvest has to prompt them, send them out and commission them with the... That doesn't mean you've got to have a diploma that says, I'm commissioned to spread the gospel. But it's the anointing of the Spirit of God on your sharing. Because some of you have had the experience of telling somebody over and over again, and somebody else comes along and just makes some offhand remark, and they receive Christ. Well, how did that happen? I was in a service, we were in a service years ago out in Oklahoma, and it was a Wednesday, Sunday night service, and it was, I don't know where the pastor was. He was just, uh, it must have been a long day because he was there and he got talking about cars that he saw, he saw, you know, he saw cars in the Old Testament foretold. And I didn't understand what he was talking about. And he was just kind of a, it was a relaxed Sunday evening and we we're just all kind of there, you know. And by the way, he says at the end of the service, he said nothing about Jesus. The end of the service, oh, he almost like an afterthought. By the way, does anyone want to get saved? And four people raised their hand. And went up again. And I was, how did that happen? How did that happen? He didn't explain anything. He just said, oh, by the way, does anyone want to... There was an anointing somehow that night that somehow made no sense to my mind and probably theirs and certainly not his that the Spirit of God used to touch their heart. So it doesn't always have to be with a track in your hand. And the point is, they have to be sent. So Jesus says, the harvest is great and the labors are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send somebody out to tell them. So we're talking about interceding for the lost. So the process is, in order for them to receive Christ, they're going to have to believe who He is for them. Not just, I believe He's the Son of God. I believe He's the Savior, and that if I call upon Him, I can be saved from my sins and saved from an eternity in hell. But I've got to be somebody tell me so that I can faith can arise and I can believe and then take the step that I have to take. So we have to pray and ask God to send the right people to them. Alright? Go with me to Acts chapter 10. Go back to the left now. Acts chapter 10. There was a certain man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion, which is an officer, of what was called the Italian Regiment or cohort. He was an officer in the Italian division, which means he was stationed in Italy. It doesn't mean he was Italian. A devout man 
who feared or reverenced God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Now, he's a Gentile. He's not a Jew. He's an unbeliever. But somehow he loves God. He's not saved, but he loves God. And he's been praying continually. Verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he had observed him, he was afraid. And he said, What is it, Lord? And so the angel said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea, and he will tell you what you must do. And when the angel spoke, when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. And so when he explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa, where Peter was. The next day, verse 9, as they went on their journey and drew up towards the city, and these are the men that he sent out, Peter went up on the housetop to pray. It was about the sixth hour, about lunchtime. And he became very hungry and wanted to eat. And But when, while they made it ready, he fell into a trance. And in the trance, he saw heaven open up and an object like a great sheet bound on four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it, in the sheet, were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and birds of the air. And a voice said to him, he's in a trance, he sees a vision, and now a voice speaks to him saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean. What's happening here is in this vision... The sheet is coming down, and it's filled with animals that under the law, a Jew could not eat. They were forbidden. And Peter's never eaten any of these things because he's a good Jew. And he doesn't know what to do. He he hears this voice saying, arise and eat. And Peter says, no, 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 no. I can't eat that. I've never eaten that before, Lord. But he's confused because it sounds like the Lord's talking to him. Verse 15, And a voice spoke to him again a second time, saying, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This happened three times, and then the object was taken up to heaven again. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he'd seen meant, behold, the men who had sent from Cornelius made an inquiry from Simon's house, because they stood at the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname Peter, was lodging there. And Peter, while Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius, and he said, Yes, I am he of whom you speak. For what reason did you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man who fears God and has a good reputation among the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house to hear words from you. And then he invited them in, lodged with them, and the next day Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied them. 
And the following day they entered Caesarea, and Cornelius was waiting for them. And he called together all of his relatives and close friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him. Cornelius, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Peter lifted him up and says, "Stand up, for I am myself also a man like you." And as he talked with him, he found that many other had come together. Verse twenty-eight. And then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for Jewish men to keep company with or go into one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore I came without objection. As soon as I were sent for, I asked them, For what reason have you sent for me? Cornelius said, four days ago while I was fasting at this hour, until this hour, at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon a tenor by the sea, and when he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now therefore, we are all present before God to hear the thing, all the things commanded you by God. And Peter opened his mouth and said, and we'll pick up with that in a few minutes. What's going on here? Let's go back and look in verse 2. Cornelius, a man that feared God, gave alms generously to the people, prayed always. Verse 4, verse 3, an angel comes saying to him, Cornelius, what is it, Lord? And he said, your prayers and your alms have come before a memorial before God. God's heard your prayers. Now, it doesn't tell us what he was praying for, but we're going to have a pretty good idea because we see the answer to his prayers. He's inquiring somehow about what do I have to do to be saved. Somehow he's asking for entrance into the family of God. We don't have the prayer, but we have the answer to the prayer, so we've got a pretty good idea what the prayer was. So he's calling out for salvation. Well, wouldn't you think God would just reach down and save him? But instead, God sends an angel in a vision and says, go send to get Peter. He's in Joppa. And have him come here and have him tell you words. We just read in Romans 10 that in order for Cornelius to get saved, he's got to believe something. And in order to believe something, since faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, he's got to hear words that will build faith in him for him to respond and those words cannot obviously come from an angel because there's an angel just standing there in front of Cornelius. Why didn't the angel tell him the words? Because he didn't know them? No, he knows them. But the way God's designed this, faith's going to come by Cornelius hearing the words of a man. So, he sends an angel in answer to Cornelius' prayer, and, and then the instructions are, go send to, and ask Peter, who's with Simon the Tanner, and have him come here to tell you the words. So the next thing is Cornelius acts on what God said. 
or by faith, because he doesn't know what's going to happen. And while the timing of this is wonderful, and so the, the men show up, it's about 40 miles away, I guess. Angel, Angel, the, the men show up at Joppa, where Peter's right now on a roof because he's hungry. He's waiting for them to finish lunch, get lunch ready. And he slips into a trance. And in this trance, he has a vision. And this vision that comes down is preparing him to go talk to a Gentile, which he's forbidden, whom he's forbidden to talk to. So the first thing is God has to show him to broaden his horizons of who God wants to save so that Peter will respond. And he has to do it three times. And then, so he has a, goes into a trance, sees a vision. These are all supernatural things. And then he doesn't know what the vision means, and now God speaks to him with the Spirit. Trance. Vision and the Spirit speaks. All supernatural things. There's an angel in Caesarea that spoke to Cornelius. And Peter now comes down. Verse 22. He comes down and says, What do you want? Verse 22, they said, Cornelius the centurion was instructed by God to send to summon you to his house to hear words from you. Why didn't the angel speak words? The angel spoke to him because somehow these words have to come from a man or a woman, a person, someone that also wears flesh. Remember talking about praying... Why do we have to pray and ask God to send somebody across their path? Why can't God just do something? Well, God can, but by and large, God won't because the method he's prescribed is to use people to speak so that faith will arise so that they can choose to believe and receive Christ. But they don't know where to go. And somebody's got to send them And that's the Lord of the harvest, the Holy Spirit, sending them out. And so here's a clear example of this working. Cornelius cries out a prayer, in this case for himself. And God has to arrange to get a man, Peter, to come over to Caesarea to tell him the words that he needs to hear. And he says here, to send for you to hear the words from you. Now, when he gets there, we get down to verse 33. Verse 20, verse 33. And so Cornelius is saying now to Peter, And so I sent for you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present here before God to hear the things commanded by you or spoken by you. And then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. For in every nation, whoever fears Him and and works of righteousness is accepted by Him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. So He's now preaching the gospel to them. That word 
you know was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Ghost, and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things, which he both did in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, who then killed him and hanging him on a tree. Him God raised on the third day and showed him openly. So Peter is now sharing the gospel story with Cornelius. Cornelius must have heard this because he says, because you know this happened, but now this is a man sent by the Lord of the harvest anointed now to share this anointed word with Cornelius in response to a prayer. It's not just news he's hearing out on the street. It's not some daily bulletin he's getting as a Roman centurion. This is a God-ordained messenger sent to him in answer to a prayer to send somebody out to send the word out into the harvest. Are you seeing this? Verse 42. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who is ordained by God to be judge of the living and of the dead. To him all the prophets and witness that through his name whoever believes in his name will receive remission of sins. Remember what Paul says in Romans 10. How can they believe unless they hear? And so they've, Peter's come all in answer to prayer, will come anointed by the Holy Spirit to share the word that will cause faith to arise in him. Look what happens. And while Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all of those who heard the word. All of those who heard the word. How can they believe unless somebody goes? How can they believe unless they hear? How can they hear unless somebody speaks? How can somebody speak unless they go? How can somebody go unless they're sent? And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. That's the Jews. Because as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And Peter answered and said, Can anybody forbid water? that they should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, and they asked him to stay a few days. All of this activity, all of the supernatural, remember we're talking about supernatural activity. We're talking last time about the obstacles, the interferences in the spirit realm. Here we're seeing God speaking, angelic beings moving around, speaking, doing supernatural things, all in response to a man's prayer. All in response to a man's prayer. I remember reading this so much so one time, and I mentioned this earlier. All this, I mean, you've got visions and trances and angels appearing and voices speaking and the Holy Spirit speaking. Why don't they tell Cornelius? Because their words wouldn't build faith. It's only hearing the testimony of a man, woman, that testifies of what they saw under the anointing of the Spirit. That's what God has chosen. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus 
having trained his disciples, having gone to the cross, having justified them, having been raised from the dead, tells them, you're still not ready yet to do the job. He says, wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high, and only then will you be empowered to be witnesses of me, to tell others, because you won't just be telling them a story. You won't be just telling them a doctrine. You won't be just telling them a principle. You will have been sent by the Lord of the harvest, anointed by him to share words, just the words that they need to hear. But the beginning of all of it is, Jesus said, look at the harvest. It's it's enormous. But my heart's broken because there's so few out there telling the words. So pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers. So as we're praying for our loved ones, as we're praying for family members, hopefully their loved ones, as we're praying for our neighbors, as we're praying for others, part of what we're doing is asking, God, you know the right person. You know just the person that they'll be open to listen to. You know just the right time. Because remember, their eyes are blinded because all, all they've got it, but all it takes is that. And all this it took with me, it just took a, a seconds of open in my heart to see something. And the moment I saw that truth, that's all God needed to get in. I don't know who was praying for that to happen. I don't know who was praying. But it was words I'd heard by other people so that I knew what to speak. It was words I heard that influenced me and affected me. But those words had been anointed by the Holy Spirit. So pray the Lord of the harvest. Pray the Lord of the harvest. Lord, you know them. You know just the person that they'll listen to. You know just the right time. You know just the anointing that's going to be needed. I don't know all those things. I'm not going to try to figure it out. But I can call upon you and ask you and implore you to go do that for them. And believe you and trust you. Now some of us may be the answer to somebody's prayer to go share that gospel. Some of us, we all are called to do this. Some of you, some of us may be those laborers that others have been praying for. And so as you're sitting next to a coworker and you just get this prompting, you know, not to just, you know, you shouldn't sit there with your Bible open preaching. The, you're, you're, you're paid to do your job, not preach the gospel. But there can be little openings. My wife was so good at that at her job. Little openings as she visited the elderly. She this this opening, and she knew just when to step in. And I'm convinced that she was the answer to some relative's prayer. They had no idea who she was. They didn't realize that an RN visiting their relative that day was going to have that prompting, that anointing, and the laborer was going to step into the field and reach the, and harvest that fruit. But it was because somebody prayed. So why do we have to pray? Why does God need us to pray? Well, there's spiritual obstacles. There's unbelief. There's all the other things we talked about. But he needs us to pray because he needs us to ask him to anoint and to send the right people at the right time to speak words. Because unless they hear the words, they won't believe. And unless they believe, they won't call upon him. And unless they call upon him, they can't be saved. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for the privilege that you would include us 
in the great harvest that you have waiting. And Father, we pray tonight that you would raise up out of this church laborers to go forth, that you would raise up for our relatives, for our children, grandchildren, aunts and uncles, parents, grandparents, whoever they may be, for our neighbors, our co-workers, people that you put in our hearts, that you would raise up for them just the right people, just the right laborers to share the word anointed by your spirit and that the truth would break through to them and their eyes would be opened to see the truth of your grace and your love for them and the need that they have for a Savior. And Father, where we're the answer to someone's prayer, make us aware, make us know, Lord, and fill us with your Spirit and give us the boldness to respond to the promptings of the Lord of the harvest. Thank you for the privilege of being part of this harvest. In Jesus' name, amen.